they wanted me to rappel down from the roof, wearing a black leotard. That's what they proposed. I very wisely said no. So this is what they came up with. Now, what you just heard and saw is obviously from, well, it's one of the most instantly recognizable musical riffs out there, right? It is from Mission Impossible, right? Mission Impossible. It, this, this franchise has spawned two TV series, nine seasons, 206 episodes, and of course in the 1990s, Tom Cruise turned it into a movie franchise. There, has been, there have been six Mission Impossible movies, and the seventh one is on its way. So for the very few of you out there who have not seen one of these movies or one of these TV episodes, here's the basic gist. There is a clandestine government agency known as the Impossible Missions Force, or IMF, not to be confused with the International Monetary Fund. Um, and the stories, all these stories revolve around a team leader who works for the IMF, and this team leader receives a mission. And then he goes and recruits a, a group of agents with different skill sets, and the fun of these stories revolve around how this team come together use their skills, overcome impossible odds, and accomplish the mission. Now today, I want us to start by getting us thinking about people getting together to accomplish missions, because the Bible is a story about a mission, God's mission. God is on a mission, and he wants to do something here on this earth, and he has recruited a team, and that team is us, that team is the church. This church has received a mission. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before I do that, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles, I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. And I want all of you in the room right now to help me, to help me welcome those of you to joining us right now. Keep, keep clapping, keep clapping. Those of you joining right now from Upper House, Fitchburg, Gospel Fusion Venue, Traditions. All right, keep it going. And for those of you who are watching online, on your computer, on your TV screen, okay, we we're happy you're here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, if you're kind of new around here, um, well, we are a multicultural, multilingual church. We have an active Chinese language ministry. So to the Chinese speakers out there, we also have a growing Spanish language ministry. And so to the Spanish speakers out there, Bienvenidos a Blackhawk, es un gusto tenerlos aquí con nosotros. Amen. And to everyone, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so very glad you're here. Now, we're starting a new sermon series today. Uh, we're starting, the series is on the book of Acts, and it's going to be 15 weeks. Uh, it's going to be all the way through the fall, all the way to Christmas. Now, why are we reading the book of Acts right now? We are reading the book of Acts because the book of Acts tells us who we are as the church. Now, we're living in a time of tension, stress, change. We sense it. We feel it. We live it every day. And during times of change, it is absolutely critical that we go back to what does not change. And so, over the summer, we did a whole sermon series on our statement of faith. Right? Our bedrock theological foundations, the commitments that we have made as a church, those are our beliefs. We're not changing those. So this fall, then, we're looking at our identity, who we are as the church, who we are as the people of God. And that's not changing because the mission's not changing. And that's what this series is going to be about. 
And we're going to learn about this from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, or if you have one of those journals that you walked in with, okay, open up to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It's right after the Gospel of John. Okay? We are going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus. Okay, let me stop right there. Okay. That's not a good sign, is it? <laughs> so first of all, Theophilus. Theophilus, this book of Acts is written to a person named Theophilus. Uh, we don't really know who he is. Uh, historians tell us that he may be quite a kind of an important person socially. Uh, he probably lives in Rome, and he actually is a Christ follower. Um, his name is actually uh, comes from two Greek, uh, Greek words. The first word is theos, meaning God, and philos, um, meaning friends, beloved, or lover. So friend of God, beloved of God, lover of God. Okay, it's a very good name. Some people even propose that Theophilus is not really a real person, but it's kind of a made-up name. You know, like, you know, this book is written to anybody who is a lover of God. It's a possible suggestion. Nobody knows for sure. It's a cool suggestion. Okay. Now, the second phrase I want to look at, of course, is former book. Former book. What does that tell you about the book of Acts? It's a sequel. Very good. It's a sequel. There is a volume one. Book of Acts is volume two. So if you have your Bible, you know, we have to figure out where's the volume one, right? If you have your Bible, uh, go from Acts, go two books before. So go past John, go to, to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And there you will see these four verses, okay? It, these are the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So notice this phrase, most excellent Theophilus. And this is totally awesome, and not just because, well, Luke sounds like Bill and Ted, <laughs> but also because Theophilus is the same name that we find in first verse of Acts. So if we go back to the first verse of Acts, it's clear that the former book refers to the Gospel of Luke, and Acts is volume two. Luke and Acts, one story. Church tradition tells us that both Luke Acts, it was written by a man named Luke, he's a physician, he was one of Paul's traveling companions. But in starting the book of Acts this way, what Luke is trying to tell us is that, hey, you know, these two books, they're connected, you kind of have to read them together. You have, you have to know what happened to Luke to understand Acts. So, like any good author, Luke is going to start by giving us a little review. You know, what happened last time? Right? So, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, what is the Gospel of Luke about? What Jesus does and what he teaches. Is that enough to jog your memory? Well, if that's not enough, Luke goes a little further to help us remember what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. So, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So question number one, what does Jesus do in the gospel of Luke? Well, if you look through this, you go, oh, wait a minute. I see a few things. One, he, uh, he had chosen apostles. Right? He, was, he, he was recruiting people. He was gathering people. He was training them. He was equipping them. He was bringing together a community of people and building them around himself. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you will find that a ton of chapters deal with Jesus recruiting, training, and teaching and equipping followers. Big part of what Jesus does. Well, what else happens in the Gospel of Luke? Well, there is his suffering. Right? Oh, that should trigger it. Right, right, right. The Gospel of Luke, right? All the Gospels, actually, end with Jesus. He goes to Jerusalem. He challenges the, the, the spiritual religious authorities. He gets himself arrested. He gets convicted. He gets nailed to a cross. He dies. He gets buried. He resurrects from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. So what does Jesus do in the Gospel of Luke? Well, he recruits followers and trains them, and then he dies on the cross and resurrects from the dead. That's a quick and dirty summary of what Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke. Well, question number two, what does Jesus teach in the Gospel of Luke? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Gospel of Luke contains a lot of teaching by Jesus. But if you had to boil down everything Jesus teaches to a single phrase, that phrase has to be the kingdom of God. The phrase kingdom of God shows up in the Gospel of Luke 32 times. But more importantly, Luke and Jesus use that phrase to summarize his teaching. So if you look at Gospel of Luke chapter 4 and chapter 8, here in chapter 4, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Why was Jesus sent according to Jesus? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Chapter 8. This is Luke's summary now. After, Je- after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaimed the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Very good. All right, guys. All the venues, all the sites, time for a pop quiz, okay? And this is not a trick question. All the venues, participate, okay? So not a trick question. In five words or less, what does Jesus teach while on earth? Yes. All right. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Uh, So in other words... What I'm getting at is this. If we want to have a sense of what Jesus was actually teaching and what's happening in the Gospel of Luke, we need to have a concept of this. We need to have an idea about this concept of the kingdom of God. So let me begin by telling you what the kingdom is not because there is a very common misconception, a very common misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is not about where we go after we die. All right? The kingdom of God is not about the afterlife. 
Jesus does not come to earth to teach about the afterlife. The kingdom of God is not about our eternal destination. I hope I made that clear. So what then is the kingdom? Well, let me break it down for you. The kingdom of God. Well, kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, the kingdom says there has to be someone who is the king, right? That's kind of basic to a, to a kingdom. It, you, you have a king who, who has power and authority. He, he is the decider in chief. And then the kingdom, of course, is the place where this king rules. This is the realm where he has power and authority. And, of course, there are subjects. There are people in this kingdom, right? And they well, they obey the king, and they pledge allegiance to the king. So that's what kingdom is about. So what then is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the place where God is the king. God has power and authority. And he has a realm in which people obey him and pledge allegiance to him. Is that clear? That's important because that's what Jesus is teaching. So the question, of course, is why is Jesus teaching this thing? Well, that's because Jesus assumes you know the Old Testament backstory to the kingdom of God. You see, the Old Testament tells a story about how God creates the heaven and the earth, and they were all part of the kingdom of God. But one day, human beings who are ruling this, our, our world, this is our world, Okay? Human beings ruling our world, they decided they want to secede from the kingdom of God. They want to separate themselves. They don't want to recognize God as, as king anymore. And the result of the secession has been nothing short of catastrophic. You see, but because they rejected God as the true king, our world falls apart. It's now racked with sin and death and violence and injustice and racism and slavery and genocide. It becomes a broken world. We become broken people living in a broken world. This is our world, folks. This is our world. Our world is now in, rebel in rebellion against God, the true king. You look at this picture, you go, what does God want? I think it's pretty obvious, right? God wants to reestablish his reign, his power over our world. He wants to take back what is rightfully his, my world. Is that clear? Okay. You need to know that because that's the storyline of the Bible, the main conflict of the Bible. Now, there's one more thing I need to teach you about the kingdom of God, and that is this, that the gospel of Luke then tells a story about Jesus, a person named Jesus, and it turns out this person named Jesus is actually God himself. God has entered our world, and in our world, he has crowned the king with a crown of thorns, and he's lifted onto his throne by a cross made of wood and nails. You see, God, instead of invading earth, instead of conquering earth through violence, compelling people to obey him, instead of defeating his enemies in battle, he enters into our world and dies for his enemies so that the rebels can turn 
and through the cross, find forgiveness, find reconciliation, find oneness with Jesus. The cross inaugurates the kingdom of God on earth. Why? Because through the cross, people now join into Jesus. And they're now people who say, hey, Jesus is my king. I pledge allegiance to Jesus. So now kingdom of God has invaded into our world. That's the gospel of Luke. And then in the gospel of Acts, Jesus takes off his people. They're empowered and they're sent on a mission to the rest of our world. And that's what comes in the very next verse. Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm not going to get into verses 6 and 7. It's kind of a rabbit trail, okay? But if you look at this whole passage from verse 4 all the way to verse 8, what you see is this, okay? Because these, this passage contains the central concept of the whole book of Acts, and it is the central idea of the series, and that is the kingdom of God, the church, is a people empowered for mission. Look at this. First of all, wait in Jerusalem. Why? Well, you have a gift. What gift is that? Oh, the gift is Holy Spirit. Okay, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit gives you power. The power to do what? Oh, to be my witnesses. Pastor Lynn talked about the Holy Spirit uh, in, in our last series, and we're going to spend plenty of time talking about the Holy Spirit in this series, so I'm not going to get into it. But this passage makes clear a very central idea, okay? And that is this. The Holy Spirit gives God's people the ability to accomplish God's mission. The Bible says a lot of different things about the Holy Spirit, but if you want to boil it down to what, how the Bible portrays the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives God's people the ability to accomplish God's mission. And what mission, what mission is that? Be my witnesses. Tell people about what Jesus has done and has taught. In other words, proclaim the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the king of the new kingdom of God on earth and invite people to obey him and pledge allegiance to him. That's the mission. That's the mission. Can you next? Yeah. Verse 9. So, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, 
and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into the heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus leaves. He ascends into heaven. That doesn't mean he's gone. Other passages tell us that he actually rules in heaven. He's actually enthroned in heaven. He's actually ruling as the king of the kingdom of God on earth. But he's gone. And what we said, what we have is two men dressed in white. Now, Luke says they're men, but I think clearly Luke wants us to understand them as being more than men. He wants us to understand them as angels or some kind of divine beings serving as God's messengers. And they come and they say, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And with that, the last piece of the story falls into place. Right? The beginning of the book of Acts starts with Jesus leaving, sending his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, into a mission to the world. But that mission is temporary because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will bring the fullness of the kingdom with him. That this entire world, this entire world, this entire earth will be part of the kingdom of God. Now, last week, Pastor Matt talked about Jesus coming back. So if you missed it, go back and check it out. It's a great sermon. Okay, go back and check it out. But between Jesus leaving and Jesus coming back is this very particular period of time where the kingdom of God on earth coexists with the kingdoms of this world. Very particular time. And that's why the angels say to the, to the disciples, hey, why are you standing here looking into the sky? Why are you looking up there? You see, the disciples, they're staring. They're staring into the sky. And frankly, it's very natural to stare because what just happened? Jesus was just, you know, did the Superman thing. Straight up into the sky. They're like, whoa. Because that's bizarre, right? You don't see that very often. We don't see it at all except on movies, you know, CGI and stuff. So that's weird. So they're just going like this. And they're staring at that little place where Jesus disappears into the clouds. They're going like this. And, and, and these angels, they're like, hey, disciples, yo, yo, disciples, wait, listen up. You know Jesus is coming back. And you don't know when. So stop staring up there and look down here. Why? Because you're on a mission. You got a job to do. And that job is right here. 2,000 years later, our church, Blackhawk Church, is a direct result of what happens in this passage. You see, these Christ followers, they did wait in Jerusalem, and they did receive the Holy Spirit, and they did go to the ends of the earth to proclaim that Jesus is king. And the kingdom of God has been growing since that day all the way till today, this day. And our story as a church and every single one of our story as Christ followers is a direct continuation of the story of the book of Acts. 
which means what Jesus says to the disciples, he also says to us. Who are we? We are people empowered for mission. We are people empowered for mission. That's our identity. Okay, this is all about identity. And, and in this difficult, challenging time that we live in, for us to know how to live and to be, we need to figure out what this church thing is all about. Now, we're going to spend 15 weeks on the book of Acts, and that's not enough time to read the whole thing. So what we did is we, we're going to spend the first 10 weeks focusing on the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. Those eight chapters are, are in the time when the church was in Jerusalem. It is a time of transformation and learning and empowerment and, and, and this story about the church in its infancy. And those stories help us define who we are. We need to know who we are. We need to own it. So the first 10 weeks of the series look like this. You can see some of the titles that, that we're doing. It's all about people, who we are as a people. Three major themes are going to shine through, so you will, you will catch those as we go through the series. Theme number one, it turns out that if you want to do a mission to the whole world, you actually need to be multicultural, multilingual. How about that? That's going to show up in the series. In fact, next week. Theme number two, the Holy Spirit is going to empower the church. What does that look like here in Madison? Well, we have three weeks to talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers the early church and how that relates to us. And then a big one. Remember, we're in the time when the kingdom of God coexists with other kingdoms of the world. Other kingdoms like, say, England or Mexico or Brazil or China or India or the United States of America. It's not an easy coexistence. We as a people, we need to know that we are different from our culture and we need to know how we're different from our culture. That's also part of our identity. So all of this, okay, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into all of it. That's what's coming up. So today, I have a simple question for you. Are you missional? Are you missional? All right, what does that mean? Two parts, okay? A person who is missional knows what the mission is. What is the mission? Be witnesses for Jesus. Tell people what Jesus has done and taught that you have experienced. Critically, more than that, live in a way that bears witness to the presence of the kingdom of God. And that means the way we love each other and serve each other here in the church, and the way the church love and serve the community, we bear powerful witness to the life-transforming ability of the kingdom of God. By the way we speak and by the way we live, bear witness to the power and presence of the kingdom of God. That's the mission for every single Christ follower. Do you understand? Because I didn't. <laughs> when I was growing up, following Jesus meant doing religious things. It meant praying before food, before eating. It meant reading a couple verses every day. It meant going to church every Sunday. 
Now, okay, now let me just be clear, okay, because I don't want people writing emails saying, oh, Pastor Charles says don't pray before meals. I'm not saying that, okay? Don't need emails about that. So, so by all means, give thanks to God for your food. By all means, if you have time, if you can, read the Bible every day. By all means, come to church and be together, yes. No, but the problem I'm talking about is somehow we, we get focused on these surface things that we actually miss the underlying mission because there's so many different aspects of following Jesus because it's about our whole life that we miss the forest for the trees. We miss what all of it is supposed to come together and accomplish. We miss the underlying mission. So yeah, okay, following Jesus is more than learning a system of ethics of right and wrong. Yes, there is a system of ethics in the kingdom, but that is for us to live out, to show people what the kingdom looks like. So following Jesus is more than loving other people. Yes, we are called to love other people because that reveals the heart of God, that God loves those who are different, who are others. And when we reveal that love, it draws a divided world to him. Loving, following Jesus is more than trying to push for justice and establishing justice in our society. Yes, we are called to establish justice in our society, but that's because justice lies at the heart of the kingdom of God. Our God is just, and his kingdom is just. Following Jesus is more than a bunch of spiritual experiences. Yes, we are called to seek spiritual experiences. The Bible tells us that. But the spiritual experiences are there to equip us, to empower us, to motivate us for the mission. Following Jesus is more than gathering on Sundays and hanging out with our friends. Yes, we are called to do life together. But it's about building a loving community that follows Christ in order to reach a community that is lost without him. And if you didn't know, that is the mission statement of Blockout Church. This is our mission statement. Building a loving community that follows Christ in order to reach a community that is lost without him. For those of you who consider Blockout Church your spiritual home, okay, I want all of us, if you're at different sites and venues or what you're watching at home, let's say it together, okay? Let's say it together. Our mission, building a loving community that follows Christ in order to reach a community that is lost without him. Everything we do and say is about the mission, to establish the kingdom of God on earth. I'm gonna give you some questions for you to think about for today and for the, for the whole series, actually. Um, these questions are directed for the, to those of you who are Christ followers. If you're not yet a Christ follower, hey, it's okay to listen because you actually know what Christ followers are being called to do. So this is really helpful for you in terms of figuring out in your faith journey. So here are the questions. Number one, do you understand the mission? Do you understand what God is up to in our world? Do you understand what God is trying to do? Do you understand what God is up to in Madison? Do you understand how your gifts and your talents fit within the larger story of God? Number two, have you accepted the mission? Now, this is a tricky one. In all the Mission Impossible episodes, 
there's always, toward the beginning, there's a scene where, where the team leader, right, he, 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 he's, he's listening to a recording. And the recording's giving him briefings on people and situations. But then toward the end of that scene, there's always that moment when the recording says, your mission, should you choose to accept it? Should you choose to accept it? People on a mission know that they are on a mission. People know who are on a mission have accepted the mission, consciously accept the mission, and see themselves that way, and that everything they do and say contributes and goes toward it. Now, I know in saying that, some of you are getting a little nervous. You're going, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, I, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't think about the mission very much at all. I think about it barely once a week when I come to church. Okay, just let me, let me be clear, okay? We follow Jesus. We enter into the kingdom by grace, by what Jesus did for us on the cross, not based on how dedicated we are to the mission. In fact, it is the Holy Spirit that moves us, that transforms us, empowers us to be missional. Okay? So let me just be clear on that. This is not a matter of salvation. However, I don't want to water down what Jesus says about the mission. Okay? I don't want to water that down. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You have the stuff of life. And seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom first. Make that your priority. So that leads us to question number three. Where is the mission among the priorities of your life? What do I mean by priorities? The way you spend your time, your money, your mental energy. When you examine your life, when you look at those things, you know the missions that you're on. You can identify them. What do you spend time thinking about? What do you spend time doing? What do you spend money on? What are the missions that you're on? And where is the God's mission? Where does it rank among all those missions? Now, in a, in a couple of minutes, in all the sites and venues, the pastor's gonna come up and lead us in a time of communion. A communion is a time of remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And remember that on the cross, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. It is on the cross that we are invited into the kingdom to pledge allegiance to him. So this is a perfect time for us to meditate on these questions. So there will be a time of meditation. I'm going to leave these questions on the screen. And I'm guessing as I'm talking, one of these questions has been calling your, out your name. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to wrestle with that one question during the time of meditation. Wrestle with it, because this is who we are. We are people empowered for mission. This is our identity. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to establish the kingdom of God on earth by joining a team, joining a church that is empowered by his Holy Spirit to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.
Father, as we think about the story of God, the story of the Bible, as we think about the story you have told us about who you are and what you've been up to, we are amazed that you love us so much that you chose to die for us, that you chose to sacrifice for us, and that instead of demanding our allegiance, you demonstrate that you're worthy of our allegiance by your love and your grace. And so we want to turn towards you and say, yes, Father, yes, you are my king, you are my Lord. Help me know how to do that. Help me, how, help me, help me how to live that out. We want to be witnesses for you in this community. We want to be people who are empowered by the Spirit to accomplish the mission. We pray in Jesus' name.